before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to the truth description as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. If you can be the problem solver or add value or find a solution in any shape, fashion, or form, you have affected change. You have created impact. You have added value. That's part of being a powerful brand. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks. Just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. On today's episode, I interview Mr. Adrian Porter, who's a brand strategist, speaker, and consultant, hailing from Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) And for his personal and professional truth, which we went through, his personal, he talked about Learning not to take life for granted, to take life seriously, living life to the fullest and trying to give value each and every day. This is very important. He goes into the details of all the people that had died in his life up to that point and how that led him to accept this truth. What I can say from my standpoint is one of my life mottos not to steal from the soap opera (laughs) is one life to live i really feel passionate about that phrase because we're here one time and we have one opportunity to do the best we can each and every day so that was his personal and for his professional he talked about how important it is to recognize the need to fine-tune your life's vision or your life's direction. Were those moments of magic in his life where he added value? That's what sort of helped him to decide or fine-tune or figure out as he navigated from the corporate world into the world of entrepreneurship. And again, for me, this has been more of an organic process But I would definitely encourage all of you to, if not monthly, at least quarterly, have a sit down with yourself. (laughs) Take out a book, take out a journal, meditate and just think about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And if this is this is the right thing for you. One of the ways to help do that is sort of like what Adrian talked about is think about those moments even from when you were a little kid, those moments that made you the happiest or where you were able to impact people the greatest. Those little things, those little experiences help to give you direction in terms of the next stages. And maybe what you're doing is perfectly fine. But that fine tuning is important because I think as we get older, 
and time goes on things can change and when we're not in line with change that's when we can get stuck and become extinct to a to a degree right that's what happened to the dinosaurs <laughs> they weren't in line with the change that was happening on the planet and so they they were eliminated so we want to be in line with what's going on we want to be in the conversation as my cousin's podcast is titled shout out to damian lemon and then in my questions we talked about creating great brands what that what goes into that the keys to creating great content online and the funeral exercise which i won't tell you what that is you may know what it is but i won't tell you you have to listen to the episode and lastly the concept of legacy and the importance of legacy all right sit back relax close your eyes and open your ears enjoy the show Good people, welcome back, Truth Prescription, episode number 56, and today I'm excited. On the mic, we have Mr. Adrian Porter. How are you, sir? Hey, what's going on? Glad to be here, man. Really honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Adrian is a brand strategist, speaker, consultant, and podcaster, has his own show as well, which we'll get into. And just to give you a little background, as an executive in the past, he was a senior director for consumer marketing for the Cartoon Network, director of brand development at HBO, and a senior digital marketer for Citigroup. Now, as an entrepreneur, he runs AP and Co. I wonder where that name came from. (laughs) (laughs) AP. Okay. A brand strategy and consulting firm, which focuses both on people and businesses. So the personal and personal and business branding. And he's the host of Gen X Amplified, which is a podcast specifically for those folks like me between the age of 35 and 50 who are sort of at a crossroad in their career. So Mr. Porter, welcome. Hey, what's going on, man? So glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. How's it going in Atlanta down there? Man, it is hot. (laughs) (laughs) People that actually are born and raised here will probably listen to me and say, it is not hot. It's like in the 80s, but it's nice. Where were you born, Adrian? So speaking of hot, I was actually born in Memphis, Tennessee, man. Memphis, Tennessee. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what Memphis stands for, right? I don't know if we should say this on the podcast. Making easy money, doing something in style. (laughs) <laughs> hey, Tennessee, three six mile. I know all about that. I was born and raised. So I'm, I'm a Southern gentleman. I, I like to say, but yeah, born and raised in Memphis, man. Back in 1971. So I said my date and my age because I'm because I'm embracing that. Yeah, born and raised in Memphis, man. Migrated to New York after graduate school, then came back down to the South back in 2009. So yeah, but more than Memphis. All right, excellente. For my listeners, as you heard at the start, Mr. Porter has done a few things in his life and he's far from from finished but let's jump right into the truth prescription so do you want to do personal professional first wow man i so first let me just say <laughs> doctor <laughs> fan of the show man i think you thank you you know as a fellow podcaster marketer just consumer of great content i, I must give you kudos I, I it's always great to stumble across something that's original in this clouded world of content and brand your concept and your mission of what you're doing with this show and this platform is great. And the, the truth prescription, I really give you kudos. So that was just my way of stalling while I try to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I appreciate I'm, that. I wanted to give you props, brother. But so 
I thought about this and I've listened to many of your episodes and it's it's interesting because I sometimes I actually look at both of those worlds, professional and personal as integrated, especially now, because a lot of times they intersect. But I I, I will you know, separate them, but I'm going to start with personal first because that would give a good segue into professional. Before you go into your personal, for my new listeners, I always just do a quick rundown of what the truth prescription is. So we as humans ignore truth. Why do we ignore it? Because it's uncomfortable, because it doesn't feel good, because looking in that mirror is often more painful than looking away. And so through my experience and the experience of the myriad of professionals and successful people that I've talked to, it's when you actually interface with the truth, when you deal with it, when you feel it, is that you're able to actually break through and become more successful in your chosen field. So the premise is accept the truth, deal with it, and it will allow you to step further and further into whatever your your ultimate goal is. So you want to do personal first? We, we're listening. Tell us, tell us a personal truth story, a story about something that either a truth that you either were ignoring consciously or you weren't aware of that once you accepted it, it opened some doors for you. Wow, man, there are so many truths because I like to say that, you know, I'm always evolving I'm always learning and I'm always you know becoming aware of watershed moments. So if I have to pick one, I would pick probably a recent one just to talk about because again, I'm witnessing truths every day sometimes. But I would say within the past, man, five years, I've experienced some tremendous life events, some positive, but a lot of passings in my family life and close relationships. And what it's taught me is the value of making sure that you take life seriously, don't take it for granted and, and just try to become the best of who you are and be good to people. And that that was the truth that I had to I always knew that, but I had to become more mindful of it recently. And just to unpack it a little bit and just to you know get very candid, I would say starting back in the 2012, going to 2013, I lost my grandfather on my mother's side. And just to share a little story. So I mentioned I was born and raised in Memphis and I'm an only child. So me too. I feel, I feel, I feel for you, man. I feel your pain. Wow. Me too. Yeah. I understand the, the, the grind. I understand it. Wow. All right. So <laughs> relate. So I'm an only child, man, and born. And it's funny, you, you mentioned my podcast and that's, that's going to be part of my professional truth as well. But I'm a quintessential, you know, Gen Xer for people who don't know if you're talking generationally, People know the millennials and people I'm sure have heard of baby boomers, but we're that generation that squeezed in the middle between <laughs> huge generations that you seldom hear about generations. But I'm a quintessential Gen Xer. What I mean by that is I'm a product of a divorced family. I'm an only child. My mother and dad got divorced when I was, I believe, seven. And we had moved up to Omaha from Memphis when I was in kindergarten because my father was stationed in the Air Force. So they have an Air Force base in Nebraska. So we lived there for two years, but then things didn't work out with my parents and my mom and I moved back to Memphis and I was around seven years old and there was a lot going on and some things I didn't know. And my mom and my dad, they got married when they were really young. My mom actually was 16 when she got married, when she had me. And so, yeah, she was a 16 and my father was really young. So but she did well. She ended up going to college and, and doing all that. But she was 16. And so moved back to Memphis, product of a divorced family, had to learn to be self-sufficient and independent because I was a latchkey kid. I went to school with a shoestring around my neck. 
and came home to let myself in the apartment while my mom was still at work. So we talk about Gen Xers and I literally check all those boxes as far as kind of that stereotype, for lack of a better word. But anyway, tying that into my grandparents, my grandfather. So my mother is also an only child. So I was an only child and only grandchild on my mother's side. And so I had a very close relationship with my maternal grandparents. They lived in Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and I would spend all of my summers there. When school let out, I would go go to summers. And I spent pretty much, they almost co-raised me. And also my, my grandparents on my father's side, who I love dearly as well, I don't want to not talk about them. And they passed away when I was young as well. But this recent passing of my grandfather on my mother's side really hit me hard. This was December 2012. And it was a surprising passing. He had a stroke and was in the hospital, but then took some time and then didn't make it. And he was previously healthy? For the most part, he was dealing with some things that we found out later. He had cancer, but I think it got resolved. He didn't die from that, from what I hear, but he had a couple of strokes before and recovered, but then he was taking a lot of medicines. But for the most part, he was healthy. I mean, he was definitely one of my heroes. He was a professor actually at a university in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. He taught music. He was a professor of music. He also, out of his home, he taught piano lessons every day. And throughout the summer, he was a professor. He taught piano lessons. He was a musician. He was a businessman because he did own his own business with his piano lessons. And he was somebody that I looked up to, again, that I spent all of my summers with. And then the latter part in life, you know, he had a couple of health problems, but then he had a stroke. And then by the time that he was able to make it to the hospital, time had lingered too long, I guess. And he was in the hospital, then he went to a nursing home, and then I got the call not too soon before Christmas of that year, you know, he had passed. And so for me, I had had passings in the past and it was really hard to deal with. But this one hit me really hard because there was a long gap between other people that had passed away. And then this was someone who was so dear to me. So with that happening, we ended up moving my grandmother to Memphis. My mom did because she couldn't stay there by herself. And she actually, she was deaf. She became deaf when she was in her 30s. She was actually a school teacher for most of her career, teaching first grade, third grade, sixth grade. And then in her 30s, she had some hearing problems and she had to lose her hearing. And that's all I knew of her. So by the time I was born, she had already lost her hearing. So my whole life, but she read lips perfectly. And at least the people that, you know, she was close to. So, I mean, she was my heart. And so again, my grandmother, my grandfather raised me in the summertime. So soon after my grandfather passed away, you know, she moved to Memphis and my mother moved her there. And then she got sick and then she passes away two years later in 2015. Now at that time, my wife was already pregnant with my second child. I have two children. I have a 10-year-old son, Cameron, with a K, and my daughter, Kaylin. And Kaylin was born 2015, July 16, 2015. My grandmother passes away July 17, 2015. She passes away literally six hours or I think it's six or seven hours after my daughter was born. And so you talk about being in a hospital, welcoming the birth of my daughter, and then getting a call that my grandmother passes away. And you talk about the circle of life. <laughs> and so I dealt with it, but I didn't really deal with it, to be honest with you. When I look back on it, because I had so many emotions that are going on internally with me, I was celebrating the birth of my daughter, who was a blessing, a blessing, because remind you, I said I was born in 1971, and my wife was born the same year. <laughs> we had a child much later in life. 
but so I'm welcoming my daughter at the same time. I'm mourning my grandpa, passing my grandmother and my grandfather about a year before that. So they're gone. And being an only child, not really having a huge family by all, these people are starting to just go away. And then a year later, um, in 2016, my best friend, my brother, pretty much, he passes away in a car accident. My best friend, Frank. And this is 2016. It was unexpected. He was the best man at my wedding. And I met him actually when I lived in New York. And he's my oldest godfather. I'm his oldest child's godfather. And so he passes away in 2016. Later on that year, my nephew passes away, who was 17 years old, unexpectedly due to something that happened. He went away to join the Marines after high school. And it's my wife's nephew by blood, my nephew by, by marriage. And he passes away in 2016. He came back. He was actually fine. We celebrated him making it officially to the Marines. We went out to eat and went to church. And he felt ill that week and went to the hospital emergency. I got a call. I was actually on, on a business trip. I was working at the time for a nonprofit company, a faith-based tech company. And I was on a retreat and I got a call that he had passed away. The hardest thing I had to do was call my wife and tell her. That was one of the hardest things I had to do. But he passes away, man. Back to back to back to back. back, to yeah. back. And it just kept rolling. And then a year after that, I lost my aunt, who's my dad's sister, who was my one of my favorite aunts in the whole world in Memphis. She actually passed away due to homicide. Wow. Yeah. And 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 I'm sharing all this. And I really it's weird because I've talked about this with family and stuff. And when I think about it, and th- these are back to back to back events. And then after that, that same year, another uncle who was the aunt that I just mentioned, her brother, then these both of my dad's siblings, he passes away due to I think he had diabetes. I'm hearing all these things later. Like I think his foot became damaged and you would know more than me. Yeah, he probably got infected and he probably didn't go quick enough and then it got into his blood. He got septic. Then he yeah, then he died. Yeah. It's pretty typical, by the way, as you know, for men of color not to take care of themselves properly. But anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. But that's go ahead. <laughs> some of the news that we've been hearing lately, things that have been happening in, in, in passings of famous people. But all that being said, man, I've lost like seven and I've never been through that. And all that being said, what has taught me recently is, Adrian, you really have to accept and embrace the fact that, you know, you're getting older and you're going to start, unfortunately, maybe experiencing some of these things. Now, mind you, what made it very painful and I still think about it and, and it, it, you know, I do mourn, but then it, it empowers me at the same time because I have to channel that energy is that a lot of those passings were unexpected. Now, I'm not talking about a slew of elder family members that just naturally passed away. 99 years old and yeah, exactly. died in sleep. Yeah. Now, even though my grandparents were older, they still passed due to, you know, whether it was disease, but we're talking about car accidents and senseless, senseless homicides and, and things that unexpected. And so these are people that were so close to me. And you can check a box to people that have a certain special relationship to you. Grandparents, I'm the only child of those particular grandparents, right? Check. My best friend, who being me being an only child, and actually he was an only child, pretty much was like my brother, check. My aunt, who we had a very close relationship, check. My nephew, who being me being an only child, I never really had a nephew, and this was my nephew by marriage, check. So, man, I went through some stuff. And so what it's done personally for me as a truth is to realize that you, number one, 
Try to live life to the fullest if you can. And what that means is be the best person that I can be, whatever that is. If it's treating people right, looking at your relationships, making sure that I'm valuing the people that mean the most to me, making sure that I can add value to others, because you never know when when the clock's going to stop on this thing called life. You never know when it's your time. You never know when someone that you love, that you care about, when it's their time to go. And these passings have, what they've done, they made me stronger. Sometimes it's still, you know, I still try to deal with it in different ways, but it's made me realize that I cannot be the same Adrian that I was five years ago, five months ago, five days ago. I have to keep evolving and keep being the best person I can be because you just never know. Yeah, okay. So personal truth, don't take life for granted. Take it seriously. Excellent. All right, let's jump into the into the professional. Professional. So I mentioned earlier, man, how you know I believe these truths are integrated because my professional truth is probably really getting tuned into my purpose in life, my purpose professionally. And I've gone to different iterations, man. We talked about you know me going to graduate school. I went to Vanderbilt Business School to get my MBA back in the day, and. I've always evolved into trying to figure out what I want to do. I got the degree in marketing because I like marketing. And is that my passion? It's part of my passion. And I've evolved that passion into marketing in different ways. But as I've gotten older, especially in this stage of my life and then the stage of my career, being a Gen Xer, being someone that's mid-career, that's mid-life, I realized that all of my life, I've been driven to helping people become the best of who they are. And as you get older, you start to become more wise. You start to take a self inventory of the things that you've done that made you happy. And, you know, we all go through this, through this phase where we're trying to find our way, find our purpose, find our voice, especially in this stage of our careers where we're like, sometimes we feel stuck or we're in this malaise and it's like, I'm not doing what I want to do. I spent 10 to 20 years in corporate America, but am I happy? A lot of us go through that and ask those questions. Or am I fulfilled? Or am I doing what God has put me on this earth to do? And I I went through that. You know, right when I turned 40, I got laid off from my job at uh, Cartoon Network. And I went through this phase where I had to try to really understand and figure out what do I want to do? And I look back on it in all of my life, whether it was being in my young 20s, doing speeches at church, motivating people that were in my peer group and in my generation at the time in our 20s on becoming the best of who they are, giving speeches at churches, talking about the power of Generation X back in 1996 and actually having on cassette tape (laughs) about how we really change our perception of a youth because they were calling us slackers back in the 90s and Generation X and And I wanted to change the perception and change the negative title of Generation X to a more positive title like Generation Exuberant, Exceptional, Extravagant. I have that speech on tape that I spoke about in 1996 and I listened to it and I'm like, I've always been passionate about helping people in my peer group become the best of who they are. And I've done that in several iterations throughout my career. And then now after I've turned 40 right now, 47, for the past few years, going through what I've gone through personally, but also evolving professionally, it's made me realize that my purpose in life is to help others amplify and turn up the volume on their best self. Is we provide, use the experiences and use the relationships and use the intuition that I have that I 
to happen to embrace. And I'm always learning to help others. And that's the professional truth. And I manifest that whether it's through my podcast, through coaching and consulting, speaking of integrating marketing and what I've done professionally with what I do now, I help people build powerful brands, personal brands, especially for people that are kind of in our generation. Because right now, a lot of us do feel stuck. A lot of us do feel that we're in this mid-career malaise, but it's my mission to help change that malaise to mastery. And a huge part of that is helping people unlock and amplify a strong personal brand professionally, personally, so they can be the best who they can be and they can thrive. That's the truth that I learned and proud to accept. Okay. So your professional truth was sort of a recognition of the need for you to fine tune your life's direction, or was it the fact that you realized that your mission was actually to help amplify others? That was it. Because again, when you're at this stage, man, you think that your truth is solely baked in your profession at that moment in time. And I wasn't sure. Like I said, I, I've worked professionally as a marketing executive for many companies, some great companies. And I love marketing. I love the science of brand building. But was I living my truth as far as my purpose that what fulfills me? Maybe not 100%. And so to that point, I had to go back and think about what are some of those magic moments in my life that I felt that I was adding value? Now, at the time that I was doing it, whether again, whether it was speaking or helping people or mentoring someone or learning from other people, did I know that that was those were my purpose touch points at the time? Maybe not. But recently, and we all go through this. I mean, it's like you age and you, you gain wisdom and you try to get more understanding of why am I here? That was the professional truth professionally. I want to make sure that I can do whatever that I need to do to help me add value and live the life that I felt that I was put here to do. And that's the professional truth is that I really feel that my goal and my mission and purpose is to take all of the best principles of telling the stories of companies, right? Of telling the stories of whether it's HBO or The Giving Company or Cartoon Network or Citigroup or some of the consulting and channel those lessons learned into helping other people, other people become the best of who they are. Because remember, and this is why I subscribe to this, I strongly feel that if everyone on this earth not just become their best self, but amplify their best self to others, the world's a better place. And so that's why when I say that my purpose and professional truth is to accept what drives me and how I can add value to others is to help other people really become the best of who they are and not just become it, but share it and give it and amplify it to the world. It sounds like you like the the personal brand work more than the business. I know you do both, but it sounds like you're more passionate about the personal brand work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say it. And again, and I think it helps because I don't want to separate the two because I've been able to and I have experience and I do enjoy helping companies tell their story. It's prepared me to help other people tell their story much better. And plus, in this day and age, the integration of personal and professional and business and personal, they're starting to merge now. If you think about some of the biggest brands in the world that people revere, whether it's digital or tech or whether it's Apple and Steve, whether it's Starbucks and Howard Schultz, you know, for lack of a better, I mean, politically, it may be a different conversation. Now. <laughs> but I'm a Starbucks guy. But, you know, now he's he's interjecting himself into the political sphere, which some people may like, some people don't. But even professionally, for people that you may not know, man, for companies, the employees are the ones that really drive 
the company. And I, I speak a lot about helping companies and their employees become the best who they are. You leaned in on a great point because the reason I do probably enjoy it more because I've gotten older and I'm now trying to live my purpose and it's just more fulfilling. Like if I had a choice between helping an organization achieve a certain level of CapEx or revenue and by helping them build their brand, that's great. That's cool. I love it. Versus helping someone who at that moment in time in their career, they feel stuck or they want to do more with their life professionally or personally. They want to build their brand. They want to tell their story. They want to add value to others. That person, whether they are a mid-career professional or an executive or anyone, the choice between the two and helping that person become the best of who they are and not only become the best, but amplified onto the world, I would rather choose the latter because I felt that I've done something that can have a greater impact. And so I think it's just merge of me growing as a person. And I really enjoy taking the principles of brand building companies and applying that to individuals. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, this is a perfect segue into my first question, which is I wanted you to talk about the brand method, B.R.A.N.D.D. That, <laughs> that you've developed. Why do you feel it works? And maybe you can give us a case study of somebody you work with and how it was employed. Yeah, not a problem. So you speak about the brand method. So I come up with what I call a methodology as my signature coaching methodology that helps people really accelerate their career and get unstuck and, and accelerate their personal growth. And it's called the powerful brand method. And the reason why I came up with this, because a lot of times when people think about branding or personal branding specifically, you know, they think about, well, I got to get a great headshot. <laughs> and now I have a brand. <laughs> you have a great headshot, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, brother. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, okay, I'm going to go and spend a day and getting these great photos and these images. And now I'm a brand. That is so not the case. First of all, people are already a brand. Your brand is your reputation. And it's what people think about you when you're not around. The difference in just having your brand out there versus having a powerful brand that creates value, that creates impact, that influences, that's revered, is how intentional you are at shaping that perception, at shaping their reputation, at adding value to others, at nurturing your relationships. That's why I wanted to come up with a methodology that outlines these five core areas of what I feel are habits and actions that people that have powerful brands that influence whether you are a leader in your company or an entrepreneur or a physician, a church leader, an executive director at a nonprofit, a mother, a father, somebody that really, when people think about them, when they're not around, they have a great feeling. They feel empowered. Those are powerful brands. So what I did, I came up with a methodology and it's a five stage, five point, I guess I call it a roadmap and a recipe of career and professional and personal growth success that have these five ingredients. And I've broken them down and it actually spells out the word brand. And so I'll unpack that to make it easier for people to remember. So it's build, refine, amplify, nurture, and dedicate. So let's break it down further. All right. The first pillar is build the blueprint of your brand DNA. And I use this methodology when I coach clients and we actually have a powerful brand scorecard that we use. But the first point, build the blueprint of your brand DNA. What that means is that before you do anything, when you think about developing a powerful brand or your personal brand, you have to understand the essence of who you are. What is your DNA? What is the blueprint, the foundation? That means understanding your brand purpose, who you are, why you matter, why do you exist? 
What is the promise that you're promising people? What's your positioning? How do you want to be positioned at work, in the marketplace, in the hospital, in the church? Like your DNA is your essence. It's the core of who you are. And a lot of times when we try to develop our brand, we don't think about the DNA of who we are. Why do we exist? What's our positioning statement? But so that's the first pillar. Build the blueprint of your brand DNA. Secondly, the R, refine your technical and transferable skills. Now, this is all about skill development and looking at your skill portfolio and the gaps and filling that in. And so what I mean by that, technical and transferable. In this day and age, it's critical for you to be at least adept in understanding how you can build your technical skills. Are you present on LinkedIn? Do you have the certain skills minimally required at your job to just navigate communication? Maybe your company is a company that uses Slack versus email mostly. Well, especially for mid-career professionals, maybe you need to just learn and become adept on how to use Slack. You know, just technical skills. Also, transferable skills. I mentioned that. Refine your transferable skills. Those are your human skills. You know, your interpersonal skills, team building, leadership, things that you have developed over time. Refine your technical and transferable skills. Thirdly, amplify your unique story and ideas. This is all about marketing, promotion, telling your story, talking about what you're doing online and offline. The heartbeat of this methodology is in the middle. Amplification. Fourth is nurture your network and key relationships. All about relationship building and cultivating relationships that you've attained along the way. Do you have a personal board of advisors? Do you have a mentor? Do you have a sponsor? So key. And then lastly, dedicate and devote time to consistent action. This is all about time management, productivity. Are you telling your story on a consistent basis? Are you becoming discoverable on a consistent basis? Are you interacting with the people that you empower or inspire or influence on a consistent basis? Are you being visible? With each pillar of this methodology, and I mentioned I have a scorecard, I outline key steps and action items under each pillar. And whether it's homework or things that you can check to make sure that you're going from point A to point B, we use. But the hierarchy of the powerful brand method, build, refine, amplify, nurture, and dedicate, that is the methodology. And I wanted to create this because I wanted something that was strategic and actionable and a roadmap and not just to say, well, hey, I'm going to build my brand. And you take a couple of headshots, you learn how to you know, do social a little bit, and then you think that you have a brand that's going to create impact. No, I don't want you to leave it to chance. I want to create an actionable roadmap that's customizable that you make sure that you hit all those key pillars of thought leadership and powerful brand. Understanding your foundation, making sure that your skills are up to par, making sure that you can promote and market and amplify yourself accordingly, making sure that you nurture your relationships and think about personal board of advisors, mentors, the people that you interact with, and then make sure that you uh, dedicate time to making this stuff happen consistently. And the sort of the second part to that question is, do you have a case study? Obviously, you don't have to give us names, but just of someone that kind of went through where they were when they started, they went through this process, how long did it take and what they achieved? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I have a few case studies. I can't, I'm not going to name any names, but one was a young lady because a lot of people that I work with, most all ages, but a lot of people that are mid-career professionals, Gen Xers, is kind of my sweet spot. A young lady who was a professional and she was looking to really get more noticed within her field. She was on a manager level and she wasn't satisfied with where she was professionally. I mean, she had all the right credentials she felt as far as 
professionally, but she was stuck. And so what I did is that I went and just kind of talked to her. I refined and solidified the methodology a little bit more with her because this, this actually, this framework has been evolving for, I started three years ago with more of an idea. And because I take this very seriously, it's the heartbeat of a book that I'm working on and it's the method that I use for coaching. And so with her, one area that I didn't have in there before that I added in was the refine your technical and transferable skills. I had the R as refine, but it was something different. It was about narrative, but I called that into the blueprint. With her, I specifically saw a gap when it came to technical skills and where she was in her career. She had the human transferable skills down packed. She was very personal. She was very intuitive when it came to interpersonal relationships and was great. And those are the things that people need to take heed to and make sure that they cultivate. However, she was not as adept when it came to understanding this new digital world, especially in the workplace and outside of the workplace where she was just trying to establish her presence. LinkedIn, for example, her LinkedIn profile was shot. To lack of- <laughs> <laughs> I'm big on LinkedIn, especially when it comes to mid-career professionals in this day and age, because that is pretty much your, your, your storefront of your brand. But her LinkedIn wasn't being optimized. So I saw an opportunity for her to really hone in on those digital social skills to make sure that the story of her was being told on LinkedIn. So I helped her and I did a LinkedIn makeover all the way from her summary to making sure that she call out some of the key elements and touch points of her professional career and make sure those things were amplified in her profile and take out some of the things that were not telling the true story of her at that time. And so That was a moment where I said, you know what, I really have to make sure that skill development, that skill cultivation and skill refinement was a key component of this method. And so with her, you know, her LinkedIn connects increased significantly. And again, and I want to make sure I say this, it's not always all about the number of followers you have. People sometimes get too hung up on that. I saw you talk about that in one interview. You know, people think they have a thousand followers and they made it (laughs) And (laughs) and they haven't. I know they have a thousand, <laughs> two thousand, three thousand followers and they think they're the man and, and nobody's engaging. Nobody is liking. And th- those are all vanity metrics. But even if you have, you know, a couple of hundred, if, if a couple of hundred or 50 of those followers revere you, they, they love what you're doing. They will champion you. They've added value to you or they felt that you added value to them. That's more powerful than having four-figure, five-figure, six-figure followers. Now, I don't want to belittle the power of having a broad audience. There's nothing wrong with that. But I try to make sure people understand that's why I put together this methodology because these areas of nurturing key relationships, refining your skills, making sure that you amplify yourself, those elements are going to help you have the right type of followers, have the right type of connections, not just pure numbers. But with her, you know, she saw an increase. She felt better about herself. I think she was able to do some different type of work in her in her company, but more importantly, making sure that her brand of her was fully being utilized and amplified beyond what she was in, in, in her job. And so I was really satisfied. And what was great is that I got value from their relationship because I was able to refine my methodology of others. And so, yeah. And so she was able to maneuver a little bit more within the company. Yes. And remember, her main problem was she felt stuck. And again, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're not, let's say you're a professional and you're trying to affect change, it's all about solving a problem. 
even if you are a professional at work and let's say you don't aspire to be an entrepreneur, but you want to get promoted or you want to be fulfilled, that's still about solving a problem. If you can identify a problem within your company that the company is facing, or maybe your boss is having challenges with, or maybe it's a peer, whatever problem that is, if you can be the problem solver or add value or find a solution in any shape, fashion or form, you have affected change. You have created impact. You have added value. That's part of being a powerful brand. And especially for people that are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is about solving a problem. So it's finding the problem, finding the pain point and understanding the pain point and being someone that can provide a remedy. And that's what her pain point. Being the masseuse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, being the masseuse. And her pain point was she felt stuck. Was it wanting to be the boss? No, but she just felt stuck and she wanted to accelerate her career. And my very strategic methodology and coaching and having something that was systemized. And again, I have what I call the powerful brand scorecard that I use with clients that they, they list out all these different action items within each pillar to help them go from point A to point B. And she was able to find success, which is, which is really cool. Excellent. Excellent. All right. My second question is on, on March 11th, you posted in your word of the day. Of wow, man, you're going to be <laughs> you're pulling out dates. I your, don't your word of the week was legacy. Oh, yeah. Yes. Legacy. And the importance of legacy. So how would you motivate someone who may not understand the importance of legacy? And the second part is kind of like, is legacy a mindset something that can be taught or is it something that has to be innate? Mm, great question, man. Love this question. So I'm going to answer the last question first and then go into the other question. So I think it can be both. And that's when I made the post, I was trying to teach the value of legacy. So I think it can't be taught. Sometimes people may not be aware of it or they just need to pull the covers back or pull the bandaid off and ouch a little bit for them to think about, especially at this latter stage or mid stage of their career. You need to think about what you're leaving behind. And so legacy is really all about making sure that what you're doing today, whenever, is affecting change is that you can make an impact when you're gone. And the reason I made that post is because I talk a lot about people that are experienced and how we can become better selves when you're mid-career, mid-life, Gen Xer, and for any anybody. But if you're feeling at this certain stage of your career, legacy is so important because we have an opportunity right now in no other time ever before. I mean, back from the Gutenberg press to the industrial revolution to the information age, and now we're at this information social age, like the platforms that we have made available to us to leave legacies, to make an impact that's long lasting is crazy. You and I are right now chatting with each other, man, over a podcast. We have microphones, we have Skype, we have internet. And this truth prescription brand, man, your children's 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 children <laughs> will be something that's crazy. Like if you just sit back and we just sit back right now and just think about what I just said and what you're doing and what we're doing, legacy has become more potent than ever before. So that's why I made the post. That's why I talk about it consistently, because I want to make sure that all of us think about, it, especially at the stage of our careers, that no matter what you do, it doesn't mean you have to start a podcast. It doesn't mean you have to create videos. But what it means is that you have to make sure that you're adding value to others and understand that you do have the opportunity for that value to be archived, to be consumed later. And so that's why I talked about legacy 
And I do feel that people can learn it. And I think that once you understand the value of it, be intentional that you do something you can to cement your legacy. Man, it could be something that simply when you walk through the door, if you are a husband and you give your wife or partner, whomever, a big hug and ask her, how is her day? And can I do something for you? That's creating legacy at that moment in time. It's about lasting value and immediate and lasting value. And then if you have kids or let's say you don't, if you're not fortunate or unfortunate, don't want, I want to be careful, but let's say you don't have kids, but you still want to create impact to others. You can do something that make sure that if whether it's archived in content or archived in someone's memory, that you do something that when they think about you as a person, as a brand, as a just a human being, that you created lasting legacy. And there's an exercise that I've done personally that I didn't create. I think it's it was well documented in a couple of books, the funeral exercise. <laughs> I take people through this sometimes and it's kind of morbid. You think about your funeral and I've been through too many of them recently. And that, that's why I said these truths and everything that I do is kind of intersected. Been to many funerals recently, unfortunately. But what that did, it made me realize, okay, think about your funeral. What do you want people to say about you when they're standing up talking about you, right? When they're giving their testimonials and their reflections. It's a morbid exercise, but man, if it does not trigger something in you for you to be more mindful of what you're doing every day, it's powerful. And I've done it and it's Oof, it made me realize, man, because there are people that have been close to me and some of them have been in the list that I mentioned earlier that I would consider that had strong brands. Again, brand is just not a company brand because the people, the amount of people that were there at their funeral that said great things about them, that the legacy was felt and heard and it shook the room and they're no longer here. But I still think about them and many people think about them to this day. That's making sure that you're tuned into your legacy. And so the funeral exercise, again, is thinking about your eulogy and the reflections, what people will say about you when you're no longer here. What do you want people to say? How do you want people to feel when they think about you, when they talk about you? All right, whatever those things are, now retrofit, go back and think about, okay, how can I become that person if I'm not that ready? Oh, that's part of the legacy exercise. That's powerful. I interviewed fashion designer B. Michael a couple of weeks ago, and he actually talked about part of his truth prescription was he recognized that after he had gained a certain amount of success, that what he really wanted was to develop legacy for his brand. And once he identified that, his whole approach shifted. And so it's just, it was really interesting to me when I was prepping for you that I saw that you mentioned legacy and the importance of it. So. I think it's something important for us all to take note and pay attention to. It's not just about now. It's about what you're leaving, leaving behind. Yeah. What you're leaving behind. And again, you know, I'll talk a lot about content. I just think that, you know, on any level, the things that you're able to leave behind are able to be archived and consumed more than any other day and age. But don't let that stop you if you don't have the platforms available to you. Just think about the relationships that you're building. You know, I talk a lot about you found the value post. I talk a lot about relationships and, and value and adding value to others. I come up with a word of the year every year and a theme that serves as a North Star to help me craft my goals for the upcoming year. And last year, I think in 2018, it was about dreaming big and dreaming, have big dreams. In 2019, my word of the year was value. And I wanted to 
make sure that everything that I do as much as possible, I want to add value to others. And so it's all about adding value, man. And if you do that well, if you really think about who you are, the relationship that you're building, how you can make sure that you have the best skills, you then in turn will leave a great legacy. Well, you're adding value right now to the listeners, so we appreciate it. <laughs> my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Talking about, you know, legacy and adding value leads me to our last question, which is what are the keys to creating great content, right? I mean, you worked at some great companies with large budgets, but whatever someone's budget, you know, what should they be thinking about in terms of creating great visual content? Great question. Number one is understanding first who is consuming your content. I talk a lot about, so target audience, especially, and people don't think about that a lot because you could have multiple audiences, but you try to have an avatar or someone that you feel would be the best served by your content. Because what that does, is going to help shape the story that you're going to tell. Like if you're telling a story that's not congruent to someone who would need that story, that's your best audience, then there's going to be a bottleneck there in, in the flow of content. One key is understanding who is consuming your content and what are their needs, what are their pain points, what are their aspirations, and how could they get the best from your content. Number two is being authentic having an authentic story, whatever that is. Authenticity doesn't mean that the content has to map to who you are. It just means that you have to be authentic and why you're telling that story and creating the content based on who is serving. And thirdly, just making sure that whatever content you're creating, that it's all about you know adding value, adding value and really making sure that it's doing a purpose, whether it's inspiring or entertaining or educating that is adding some sort of value, that if the content wasn't there, if you didn't create it, would there be a delta or a change or would anybody recognize a difference? If your answer is no, then why are you doing it? You know, you have to make sure that whatever you're creating, whether it's a piece of audio or video or text, or if you're on a stage and you're delivering a speech or you're doing a workshop, whatever piece of content in whatever medium, if you fail to create it, Will there be any difference in the world? If the answer is no, then you're not creating it in the right way. If there's going to be a delta or a change or some sort of difference, then you're on the right track. But a lot of times people just push stuff out there and there's no direction. They don't know who they're creating it for. I mean, they may create this great post that's very young, driven, using all kind of young euphemisms and slang and and talking about the millie rock and the this and that <laughs> and the audience are like 50 60 year olds like what well, come on man you you know you can't you know some cardi b in there but you're targeting boomers <laughs> or the inverse or you're mentioning things that have no congruency with a gen z or a person in high school i mean seriously they're and people are creating it just because it's the thing they're on this platform because it's the thing that they they have to do video but they they are camera shy and they hate it I think video is great. I think people should embrace it in some form of fashion. But if that's not your comfort zone, then right now, don't create that. Do something else. If you can wax poetic on a mic and talk and you're great vocally, I mean, pick up a mic. If you can scribe beautifully and come up with stories and paint pictures with your words, but then you focus on just, I don't know, some other form of content that's not utilizing your, your superpowers then there is some incongruency. So map the content medium to your passion and map that with the right audience. Then you're on your route to uh, having great content. Perfect. Perfect. Beautiful. Well said. Well said. 
You ready to switch over to yes or BS? Man, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready, bro. All right. So yes or BS, basically, I'm going to make a statement and you're going to say yes or BS. And if you want to expound, you can. If not, we move on. All right, let's do it. All right, number one, monetary wealth is about creating value. Yes. Okay. Number two, millennials are smarter than Gen Xers. <laughs> B. <laughs> S. Let me quickly, because I want to make sure I do a disclaimer. I'm not bashing millennials. I always say this on my show when I talk. Every generation has power and value, but that better than thing, no, 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 no. Now, I'm not going to say Gen Xers are better than millennials either. So, but no, BS, S. I like that S. Extra S. Extra S. Number three, Adrian Porter will not work for a corporation again. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, man, that is a that is a good one. You know what? I battle with that, to be honest with you. I'm going to be real. I'm not going to sit here and say no. My passion would be not to. But look, I cannot say no if based on I have a wife, I have two children, I have a mortgage. This field of entrepreneurship is a beast. And based on things that, that may or may not happen, I may have to, you know, go back on Indeed and <laughs> sit <laughs> put, in the cubicle. Put your tie uh, on and yeah. Put the tie on. No, I mean, seriously, I mean, I love doing what I'm doing, but there's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with being in corporate. And honestly, if I have to do it, I will, I'll do it, but still keep my dream alive. But I'm not going to say BS on that. But your preference would be to continue to control your own daily schedule and your own income. Yeah. Cause I would say, honestly, that was part of my truth journey too, knowing myself. Like I'm a good employee. I think I am a better person, entrepreneur, someone that can, can create their own path because that's just how I'm wired. And I've noticed that even when I worked in companies, just kind of my personality and some of the things that I would fall in line or not fall in line into, <laughs> honestly, and I'm being candid. I realized I mean, I can work for a company, but I've learned some lessons. Like I was not always the best employee. I'll be honest with you. When I look back at some of these jobs, I was not one of the best employees on some of these occasions, which is why the things that I do now with this personal brand coaching and even the methodology, a lot of those elements in that action plan are things that I know that I could have done better than now I've learned that I've did better with later careers, but I was horrible. Like I was horrible at nurturing some of my relationships early on in my career with great jobs and I missed out on opportunities. I was horrible at making sure that I understand the who and the why and building my DNA. I'll be honest with you. So I learned that lesson, but then now I've learned to cultivate those skills and I know that, but in my heart of hearts and what drives me, I want to be able to have the flexibility to add impact and change outside of the corporate restrictions. But if I had to, I will do it and I would put a smile on my face and add as much value as I can. (laughs) Understood. Understood. Number four, Instagram is the best platform for brand promotion. BS, because it depends on your audience. It depends on what you're trying to achieve. Instagram is a great platform, awesome platform right now if it's congruent with your audience and if you're trying to have organic reach. Like getting technical, because I'm a marketer, 
Instagram is great for organic reach and telling a visual story and painting a visual picture of who you are. Great. Is it the best platform for connecting with certain professionals and making sure that you can do this and that? Maybe not. Maybe it's LinkedIn. So that's another myth that I want to dispel when it comes to marketing and social media and even personal branding is that it's kind of this one size fits all. You can't just put one image or a post or a piece of content and splash it across multiple platforms at the same time and expect the same results. You have to be native to the platform. So as far as a blanket statement that Instagram is the best, not necessarily based on your goals, but it's an awesome platform when it comes to organic reach and painting a visual story. Number five, your income is determined by the income of your five closest friends. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. It is somewhat, yes. I believe it indirectly has an influence on it because just hard numbers, you know, if you have five, you know, and making 100 Gs, are you necessarily going to make 500 Gs or on average 100? Yeah, exactly. Average. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. So is, are you going to average going to make 100 Gs? You would have a better opportunity to do that if that is the case. But then sometimes you have to peel back at, you know, how are they making their 100 Gs? Are they in line with your values? Or are they, you know, whispering and doing some things that they may not need to be doing to make the 100 Gs? But, you know, I think it's a great question to just invite the conversation about the value of your circle and making sure that you are aligning yourselves with others that have similar destinations financially. And I think you definitely have a better chance, which I think the premise of the question leads to that. You have a better opportunity to reach your financial goals if you are around people that share similar values that are reaching similar financial destinations as opposed to hanging around a bunch of broke folk. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, the five broke folk could be struggling, but have great aspirations. But you need to sprinkle in a couple of people that have already crossed their bridge in there, too. Well, that's the role kind of we mentioned it before. That's where the role of the mentor comes in. Yes. Yeah. yeah that definitely. would be one person. And they're not necessarily a friend, but there's someone in your circle that you're connected to energetically that can sort of help you. You know, if you start getting into the energy of things that can sort of help you to shift your perception. I remember, this is a quick story. I remember like maybe six, seven years ago, a friend of mine who we're actually business partners now, he was just talking about ah, 15 grand and, and just the way he talked about it, like it was nothing. <laughs> and and I just remember at that moment, like starting to feel a shift where it's like, oh, okay. Maybe it's not as big of a deal as I think it is, you know, as I, or as I'm making it. I think that kind of thing helps. You start to shift your perception on wealth. It does. And quickly, you know, I'm glad that's a great question to bring up because it made me think about it even more. You know, again, I'm always evolving. I'm always growing. There's a great book that I love by Carol DeWitt called Growth Mindset that I encourage a lot of people to read. It's all about having a, whether you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And she talks about people that tend to be more successful in life embrace a growth mindset, meaning that they just don't think they stop growing and learning and, and developing at a certain point in time and age, they're always growing. And I subscribe to that. But I had to grow and learn about that as well, because people that I interact with now, whether it's directly or indirectly as mentors, some of them have what they call portfolio careers. And they talk about and embrace having portfolio income, meaning you don't just subscribe to one 
level of income if it's just your job and that's it. If that goes away, you're, you're screwed. And I've evolved to make sure that I'm more focused on trying to diversify my income. I'm not there totally where I want to be, but let's say, you know, if I spend time on whether it's consulting or let's say you have a job, maybe you can do something, whether it's, you know, writing a book or speaking. You're a great case study because you have like 20 jobs, you know, you. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I'm <laughs> I did this one interview. The, the guy had me almost fell off the chair. He's like, man, you might as well be an NFL running back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's hilarious because I, I came in, right? I'm the doctor. I'm the, sh- the host. But then I also set up the whole studio before we recorded. And he's like, man, dude, what, what, what can't you do? That's great. Now, just make sure you don't intersect those worlds, man. Somebody's on the table, operating table. And you're like, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> this is the truth prescription. Man, forget the truth. I need you to close me up. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but seriously, yeah, I think portfolio careers. So having people in your circle, like to your question, based on their financial goals and how they made the money can help. Because see, there were things that I didn't really know until I learned later, man, there's ways to make money utilizing your skills and your passions. You know, there are still things that I don't do effectively. Like I actually, I love to DJ. I'm a music junkie. Like I have equipment in my basement right now, turntables, mixer, the speakers, they're collecting dust. And I'm around here just leaving money on the table now, but you have to be strategic because you know, you have to But all that being said, look at ways, especially the stage of your career where you have attained a certain level of expertise and passions. And if you can monetize that in any form or fashion, use it. Use it to your advantage. And also for the listeners, the the other part that we're not saying, it's also about passive income. You know, as many as many passive income vehicles as you can generate for yourself. If you look at the top five, 10 richest people in the world, they, they, all their money is derived from, from passive things, whether it's businesses or investments or what have you. So making money while they sleep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Number six, you're going to like this one. Adrian Porter uses brand strategy in his role as husband. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. I, Try to now. I'm not. I, I got to do a better job. <laughs> Woo, that's a good one. Yeah, I know, my good, brother. I know. That is a great, because this powerful brand method and how I approach personal brand strategy, it applies to every level. Because remember, your brand is your brand. So your brand as a spouse, what does your wife or husband think about you when you're not around? And like, oh my God, he just... And so. I think I do okay. Now, if my wife was here, she may say something different. <laughs> but, no, I, I don't think she will. But no, honestly, I, I need to, I need to do a better job. And and let me let me add this on because a lot of times people that are very determined and intentional trying to attain success, especially entrepreneurs or busy professionals, you know, we get so caught up in the day-to-day and trying to create magic and create impact and create value and create something that we forget about some of those low-hanging but more important things. And so I have to do a better job because, man, I don't turn this off, man. This is when you eat what you kill or if you want to create value and impact, man, I don't stop. Like there's no nine to five in my mind. And so a lot of time that can go into your relationship. And so me as a husband, that's very important to me because I value my relationship with my wife so much and my children that I know that I have to do a better job in making sure that I communicate, make sure that she knows that she is number one, that I understand how she's doing, that I'm learning about and want to hear about her day 
And so there are some gaps every now and then because I'm sometimes I can be so driven and I can think about in my mind that I need to pull out my powerful brand method, <laughs> look at build, <laughs> refine, amplify, nurture my relationships and look at the action items on the scorecard under nurture my networking key relationships and make sure that, okay, have I done this? Did I ask my wife, how was her day? I got to do a job. Man. No, it's important. It's funny because I often ask, I didn't ask you about the question about being a father because I often find with children, it's a lot easier, you know, in terms of our role. And plus they're, you know, we're responsible for them. We're their stewards. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's do what I say. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. But with your wife, who's an equal, and I'll speak for myself with my wife, who's an equal and being in a relatively new marriage, less than five years, we're going to be five years in September. It's a daily struggle. It's a daily grind and not struggle like, oh my God, this is so horrible, but struggle like, you know, it's work and it's something I enjoy. But I, I thought about that just in terms of using the brand in, in the home because it could probably be used there effectively as well. <laughs> I mean, it's so can. And what's interesting is that, you know, the powerful brand method, a lot of times when I work with people and I talk about it or, you know, if I'm doing a workshop and I train on it, you know, a lot of times it's about professional branding and personal branding from a professional standpoint, the entrepreneurial standpoint. But I do make note, you know, a little exercise that if you take those elements of so build, refine, amplify, nurture, and dedicate, and whether you change some of the vernacular a little bit, it is so applicable to your relationship with your loved ones, whatever the case may be, like understanding the blueprint of who you are as a husband. What is your DNA? What makes you you? What makes you special? Looking at your refining your skills, your skills as an effective steward in the home, making sure that you amplify your ideas and your story. Talk about yourself, you know, making sure that you communicate, especially to your kids, nurture your relationships and dedicate time to action. Like it's so applicable. And you want to make sure that your kids and your spouse or your significant other or your partner when they walk away and they think about you, that they have a positive and valuable understanding and perception. Because if that's tainted based on something that you have done intentionally or even unintentionally, sometimes the scar can be very hard to remedy. So a lot of times, you know, these are treatable diseases, you know, in speaking in your vernacular, but, you know, you don't want to get to a point where it's untreatable. And, you know, we talked about Terminal, like a lot of us, you know, black men, we don't take care of ourselves. So you got to think about the relationship with, with others. Like if you detect it early, if you know that early on that you have not communicated effectively to your loved one, you've been mean or your tone, you treat it early. But if you let this linger too long, man, and it spreads marriage, death, and you don't want that. No, no, you don't. Last one. Number seven. Atlanta has more opportunities for people of color than New York. <laughs> man it's not fair this is not fair and and i'll tell you why and my wife would know because i miss new york so <laughs> much that's not fair i do i mean so i uh, i love atlanta atl but you're a southern dude anyway you know yeah but it's funny i'm a southern dude now i had a wonderful time i pretty much spent my 30s in new york i was there for 10 years really the first time i ever really just lived on my own, really. I mean, I went to business school in Nashville at Vanderbilt that was close to Memphis, but that's business school. It's a little different. Man, New York, I just grew and blossomed and had a ball. Now, that was pre-kids. That was pre, you know, my wife and I, we were married part of the years. But I don't want to take Atlanta, but I would say that Atlanta right now, it depends on what you want to do. Atlanta is a great melting pot right now. I would 
probably answer more yes because there's an influx of opportunities here, whether it's tech or entertainment, especially the startup field. I mean, the startup scene is crazy here now. And it's always been a mecca and a melting pot for black entrepreneurship and professionals. That's kind of been the case for years. And I think it's evolved. I think there are opportunities just with the massive numbers and just the opportunities in New York, because especially in media, because it's New York. But it may be harder probably in New York than it is in Atlanta. But I just have, I have a, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. I, have, <laughs> I miss New York. I miss Brooklyn. I miss my old neighborhood. I miss walking around the corner literally to go to church and then walking across the street to the store, to the cleaners, walking across the street from my co-op in Brooklyn to the train and hopping on and going everywhere. Because see, all those different short destination points allowed me to have more opportunities in, in working you know, at Citibank and at HBO. But to your specific question, man, I, I would say right now, it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, I think Atlanta right now is great. It's a great city. The people here are beautiful, friendly. Not everyone, but, you know, that's anywhere you go. Yeah, in the South, the South in general. Yes, it's that Southern charm. But seriously, you know, I think it's a great question. I would say right now, Atlanta, if you're trying to, whether it's a startup or even grow professionally and increase your network, man, this is a great place to be. There's a lot of film stuff happening in Atlanta as well. Yeah, a lot of the, think about the latest, last huge, I mean, films that are, especially Marvel, all the Marvel films, a lot of the Tyler Perry stuff, even, you know, whether it's The Walking Dead television. Georgia was smart in the last, I think it was like four years ago, they instituted like a brand new package for media companies that gave huge tax breaks. And so people are like, oh, well, why don't we just shoot it in Atlanta, <laughs> you know, and save all this money? It's the place. I mean, I joke a lot. I just I, I just had to get the shout out to New York because I love <laughs> it. It definitely has a special place in my heart. But I would be remiss if it did not tout how powerful it, it has been in the ATL, man, especially for people of color. So Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Fantastic. That's all I've got, man. Let the people know how they can uh, connect with you, how they can reach out if they want some coaching, if they want to just see what you're doing online. Where, where can they go? Give us Give us all your... Your Instagram, website, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I would say I'm a huge, as far as social media, I would put LinkedIn first because I love LinkedIn, especially professionally. You get a chance to kind of see the, my story and just connect. So I would invite all of you, please reach out, connect with me on LinkedIn. I always I connect back. And then I'm also active on Twitter as well, on IG. Everything's at Adrian Porter. I make it pretty easy. And my website, my whole base, I'm at adrianporter.com. Straight is pretty easy. You can also get to the podcast from there or just go straight to genxamplify.com. But if you type in my name in Google, Adrian Porter. It'll pop up. It'll pop up, man. <laughs> They'll be guided. They'll be guided. They'll Which be way guided. Go? I put in the work. I have, you know, I have the receipts, man. I, uh, I, <laughs> your Google AdWord game is on point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the content, man. A lot of it's organic. Just making sure that... Now put it out there, but definitely please connect with me on LinkedIn, subscribe to the podcast, but just reach out to me, especially if you're looking to go through this brand methodology and just, I can help you accelerate your career. Reach out to me and I'll do a initial discovery call. And I'm passionate about this. I want to help all of us win, especially right now. If you're feeling stuck and stressed and squeezed and you feel that you can tell a better story or be a better person, you know, I love to just chat with you and let's make this happen. Excellent. All right. Well, Adrian, thank you so much. This was great. I think the listeners got a, a nice little dose to chew on. Until next time, 
I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it.